Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911. Ruben Nava and Jesse Romero will not be with us today. He's still uh, under the weather, so let's uh, let's keep him in your prayers. One man car, ten uh, eight for Jesus, and um, I think we have a good show today. We're going to be talking about on mortification of the eyes. I know I mentioned a little bit of that yesterday in the in the War College, but uh, I thought, well, you know what? Let's just let's get deeper into it. So the you hear what some of the uh, some of the great saints have have said about this, and uh, later on we'll be talking about what Jesus says about forgiveness. So uh, topics that everybody can uh, can work on. And anyway, um, you know what we, we look like we had a good news in the um, in the in the Senate where they uh, they blocked the uh, rep- the Democrats' uh, attempt to codify Roe v. Wade, and uh, they actually. Joe Manchin, I'm starting to like this guy out of Virginia or West Virginia. I, I, I can't recall which one he's from, but he, I think West Virginia. He he's um, was able to vote along with the GOP to uh, to kind of cancel out um, the vote from the vice president. But in any case, I think they needed 60 votes anyway. They got they got 49 to 51 for the GOP, so um, they're uh, they're pretty perturbed and. Uh, Chuck Schumer is out there uh, talking about um, threatening, actually threatening the Supreme Court justices. You, you know that uh, it's going to be on you. You you're going to pay for this. You you know watch out. And uh, I I mean that's that's like bordering on a terrorist threats. So um, the only thing I think that they kept it from being a crime was that he said if you do this, it was conditional. If you if you don't do this, if you know then. Then you'll you're gonna pay for it. So, um, anyway, let's uh, let's keep let's keep uh, the the issue and the babies in our prayers, okay? Because this is you know we get caught up in the in the in the thought that this is uh, you know it's political and and we forget that there's a, there's lives behind it and uh, it's not just an issue. It's it's Christ's baby. So, anyway. Um, Mortification of the eyes. You know, I, I'm I'm basing this on uh, the true spouse of Jesus Christ by Saint Alphonsus Liguori, one of my favorite saints, a doctor of the Church. Um, Alfonso Saint Alphonsus was the bishop of, of Saint Agatha of the Goths, founder of the Redemptorist Order. He was proclaimed doctor of the Church within less than a century after his death. It was astonishing, astonishingly fast compared to other great doctors. He was, in fact, specifically claimed doctor of moral theology. So, um, what some of the some of the people have said about him, uh, some of the saints and popes have said, no ecclesiastical writer has ever received more direct, positive, and formal approbation than that accorded to the Holy See to the moral writings of the Doctor of the Church. While still alive, four popes expressed their admiration of his prudent doctrine. In 1831, Pope Gregory XVI enhanced his approbation when he decreed that professors of theology could safely teach any opinion of St. Alphonsus and that confessors, without waiting, waiting like, uh, like the wait, waiting uh, reasons, could safely follow him simply on the facts that St. Alphonsus said so. 
each of the 13 predecessors of Pius XII in the chair of Peter has in some way or, or another recommended, approved, or exalted the moral theology of the patron of confessors. And then uh, in his uh, apostolic brief in uh, April 26, 1950, Pope Pius the XII alludes to some of them. You know, he says, By his learned writings, especially his moral theology, he dissipated the darkness of error with which Jansenists and moralists uh, and benign of moralists, Leo the Thirteenth, he illumined obscurity, made doubts plain and clear, and in the maze of overstrict and overlax theological opinions, he hewed a path which directors of souls can tread in safely. And here's Blessed Pius the Ninth. To this course of pontifical voices, Pope Pius the Twelfth felt, he said, constrained to add his own, declaring Saint Alphonsus Maria de Liguori the the celestial patron of both confessors and moral theologians. So this, this guy's the, you know, he's a champ. He he's, he's best of the best and he can't go wrong with, uh, Alphonsus Liguori. So, uh, I, every, um, every Lenten season, I, I pick up his book on uh, the passion of Jesus Christ and it's great meditation. Great. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of actually a compilation of books that he, that he put together and uh, you know you can you can read on the the last you know the last words of Jesus. Uh, you can read about each day. There's actually you can go to the book and and um, for whatever day of the week or like you know uh, whatever approaching as we approach Easter, you know during Lent we uh, you can you can just there's a, a meditation for every day. So pretty powerful. Uh, anyway, this book, although it was written for for the religious life, um, the true spouse of Jesus Christ, um, it's it's highly effective, highly useful for even you know secular people like ourselves. And um, so I'll be I'll be reading some quotes from it. It really uh, he quotes other saints too in his book. And so let's just get into this. Uh, he says saint alfonso says almost all our rebellious passions spring from unguarded looks for generally speaking it is by the sight that all inordinate affections and desires are excited hence holy job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not so much as think upon a virgin that's that's from job 31 1 why did he say that he would not so much as think upon a virgin should he not have said that he made a covenant with his eyes not to look at a virgin? No, no, no. He very properly said that he would not think upon a virgin because thoughts are so connected with looks that the former cannot be separated from the latter. And therefore, to escape the molestation of evil imaginations, he resolved never to fix his eyes on a woman. In today's world, folks, you know, you you just you open social media and, uh, you know, Every other uh, person is, is is trying to is dressing immodestly. They're trying to get garner attention or gar, garner likes or followers, and it's uh, it's like they're competing with each other to uh, to see who, who who can be nastier. And uh, it becomes a an, it, it becomes a um, you know where you're it could lead you into sin and uh, uh, you know the near occasion of sin. So uh, we got to guard our eyes. And, uh, you know, it's like pornography is, is a problem with a lot of men. But uh, I know the, the women, they're also, uh, studies show that they're also now 
looking at it, but it's not. Uh, it's still not to the point where where men are. And I mean, it's this is primarily a problem for men because men are are more visual than women, but it can certainly be a problem for women as well. Um, specifically, studies found that men across relationship types who view pornography are about three to four times more likely to report viewing pornography. So, um, so that's why that's why I'm getting into it because it is a huge problem and. With our kids now having cell phones at an early age, you know, parents are getting their kids cell phones in, gra- in grammar school, immediate middle school, so they can, you know, call them to, hey, this is when uh, I can find you when I'm there to pick you up. And uh, it, it, you know, without blocks on those phones, it, it's it's real easy for the kids to get into some mischief. And, um, you know, it's, you can't always, you can't always, uh, unless you're, you're going to like a, a private, you know, Catholic academy or something. You don't, you don't know what the other kids, what kind of families they're coming from when you send your kids off to school. So St. Alphonsus goes, goes on to say, he quotes uh, St. Augustine. He says, the thought follows the look. Delight comes after the thought and consent after delight. St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo and doctor of the church. Um, what is not seen is not desired and to the to the desire succeeds the consent, so says St. Francis of DeSales, a bishop of Geneva and doctor of the church. St. Alphonsus, he, he, he says that if, if Eve had not looked at the forbidden apple, she should not have fallen, but because she saw that it was good to eat and fair to the eyes and beautiful to behold, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, Genesis 3, 6, and then the devil tempts us to look then to desire afterwards to consent. And so that is what happened. She looked at it and uh, then she, she gave her consent. So um, a deliberate glance at a person of a different sex often enkindles an infernal spark, which consumes the soul. He says, uh, quoting St. Bernard of Clairvaux, father and doctor of the church, is through the eyes, the deadly arrows of love enter. Through the eyes, the deadly arrows of love enters. Mm-hmm. And he, so Alfonso says that uh, the first dart that wounds and frequently robs chaste souls of life finds admission through the eyes. And uh, he, he reminds us of that David, the story of, of David and Bathsheba. By them, David, the beloved of God, fell. Remember, he's up on his um, the balcony and he's overlooking Bathsheba's, uh, you know, where she's bathing in the back and Anyway, he starts lusting after her. And then uh, following David, his own son Solomon, who was once inspired of the Holy Ghost, he'd drawn into the greatest abominations. Remember, he had 700 wives and concubines. Okay, and that was, that was who uh, you know, we, we know as the, the wisest man uh, ever. You know? <clears throat> he, had some, he had his own moments of, uh, of falling, temptation. Oh, how many are lost by indulging their sight? The eyes must be carefully guarded by all who expect not to be obliged to join in the lamentation of Jeremiah. My eye hath wasted my soul. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the young women in my city, is what is what it says there. All right, that was a quick uh, one segment. We'll be right back talking about this. Mortification of the eyes. Now, 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, one man car. I'm a king car today. My partner Jesse is out. Um, he's a little under the weather, so keep him in your prayers. And um, we're talking about mortification of the eyes. It, it's uh, it's a very serious problem in today's society, and and it, it always has been. But uh, with technology and you know social media and all that, and uh, with the immodesty in dress these days, um, I mean, there's you know, it, it, I worked at the airport for five years, and uh, you know, remember the days when people would dress up to go to the airport? They'd you know put on shirt and tie, and you know. Um, Women would be in dresses, and not not now. I mean, they're in yoga pants and skimpy shorts, and guys are wearing tank tops, and you know, very immodest. So uh, we have to work on it. This is something that uh, is going to affect us if if we don't um, make a point to to do something about it. Pope Saint Gregory the Great, the Father and Doctor of the Church, said, "The eyes, because they draw us to sin, must be depressed. He looks, he that looks at a dangerous object begins to will what he wills not." Hmm. And then, you know, in the book of Ecclesiasticus or Sirach, otherwise known as Sirach, 9, 8, verses 8 and 9, it says, Turn away your eyes from a shapely woman and do not look intently at beauty belonging to another. Many have been misled by a woman's beauty and by it passion is kindled like a fire. Never dine with another man's wife nor revel with revel with her at wine, lest your heart turn aside to her and in blood you be plunged into destruction. But right there, you know, it talks, it, it right there, it uh, it reminds me of uh, St. Maria Goretti, who, um, you know, the family that uh, her little poor family was living with, this Alessandro 20-year-old guy who was lusting after her at, as she's age 11, and uh, he tried to have his way with her, and um, and when he didn't, when she resisted his uh, his attacks, she, she he, he stabbed her to death. So, you know, because he was, he was looking at her in, in an impure manner. Okay. Remember, it's not, it's not, um, you know, you, you take a glance at somebody, you know, you notice their beauty. That's not a sin. That's just being a guy or being a girl. You know, you notice, uh, the opposite sex beauty, but, um, but then when you continue to, to look, there's a second and third looks and, you know, then you start staring and then, uh, you know, pretty soon you're, you're, it could lead to, to lustful thoughts and undressing her or um, with your eyes. So we have to avoid those things. And uh, like a, a good priest, a friend of mine told me once, well, it was, it's good, he, he was saying you have to, um, it's, not a, it's, not, it's not a sin to, to, to notice somebody's beauty. So he says, uh, why, don't you, why don't you say this prayer when you, when you have any temptations like that? So you say, Lord, I, I love the way she reflects your beauty. My Lord, I love the way she reflects your beauty. He said, because you can't pray and sin at the same time. So you're giving God the girl, the glory, the credit for creating that uh, that beauty. Um, so we go on. To avoid the sight of dangerous objects, the saints were accustomed to keep their eyes almost continually fixed on the earth and to abstain even from looking at innocent objects. After being a, a novice for a year, St. Bernard could not tell whether his cell was vaulted. St. Peter of Alcantara, he kept his eyes constantly cast down, so he didn't know what his, you know, who his brothers were with whom he conversed. 
The saints were particularly cautious not to look at persons of a different sect, sex. St. Hugh, a bishop, when compelled to speak with women, never looked at them in the face. And St. Clair would never fix her eyes on, uh, on the face of a man. She was greatly afflicted because when raising her eyes at the elevation to see the consecrated host, she was once involuntarily saw the countenance of the priest. St. Aloysius never looked at his mother in the face. So, and St. Gregory states in from his, the Dialogues, Book 2, Chapter 2, that the temptation to conquer, which St. Benedict rolled himself in thorns, arose from one incautious glance at a woman. So, yeah, we heard uh, Dr. Dan mention that, that St. Benedict rolling himself in the thorns. He said that yesterday, in fact. St. Jerome, though living in a cave at Bethlehem in continual prayer and macerations of the flesh, was terribly molested by the remembrance of ladies whom he had long before seen in Rome. Why should not similar molestations be the lot of the religious who willfully and without reserve fixes her eyes on persons of different sex? So, and then St. Francis de Sales, doctor of the church, he also says, it, it is not the scene of objects so much as the fixing of our eyes upon them that proves most pernicious. That's what I'm talking about, staring at them. That's fixing your eyes on them. If our eyes should be by chance fall upon others, let us take care never to fix them upon anyone, St. Augustine says. So, Pope St. Gregory the Great, doctor of the church, says, it is not lawful to behold what is not lawful to covet. Say that again, that's powerful. It is not lawful to behold what it is not lawful to covet. Okay, so the it says, so the evil thought that proceeds from looks, though it should be rejected, never fails to leave a stain upon the soul. Brother Roger, a Franciscan of singular purity, being once asked why he was so reserved in his intercourse with women, replied that when men avoid the occasions of sin, God preserves them. But when they expose themselves to danger, they are justly abandoned by the Lord and easily fall into some grievous transgressions. And so, like I said on yesterday's show, um, many in- men incorrectly attribute their fall into sin and to the work of the devil, when in most cases, um, it's because we didn't avoid the near occasions of sin. You know, most, you know, 90, 99% or maybe, you know, 95 to 99% of, of sin, mortal sin could be avoided if you avoid the near occasions of sin. And uh, so we, we think, oh, the devil made me do it. Well, that's why we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's the world, the flesh, our flesh. The flesh is battling against us, you know, uh, our concupiscence, our lower nature is what we struggle with most. Okay, so you just try to say, oh boy, I keep getting tempted by the devil. No, you keep tempting yourself because you're putting yourself in those situations. You know, go the opposite direction. Where Christ is, there is modesty. Modesty is found, Pope Gregory says. Um and then St. Alfonso says, I do not mean to say that the eyes should never be raised or never fixed on any object. No, but they ought to be directed only to what inspires devotion to sacred images and to the beauty of creation, which elevate the soul to the contemplation of the divinity. <clears throat> so just like like we would say, like <clears throat> when somebody uses foul language, boy, do you kiss your mother with that that mouth? You know, you pray to our Lord with that mouth. So you you want to avoid uh, trash coming out of your mouth. 
in the same in the same vein here, like Saint Alphonsus is saying, <clears throat> when we when we look on 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 devout images, the beauty of creation, on 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 the blessed sacrament being raised up, uh, you know, or you know, on the altar at adoration, that's what our that's where our eyes are for to to fix uh, um, and raise our souls up, you know, when we're 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 looking at at the beauty of the God's creation. So we move on. St. Francis of Assisi once said to his companion that he was going out to preach. After walking through the town with his eyes fixed on the ground, he returned to the convent. His companion asked him when he would preach the sermon. St. Francis says, We have, replied the saint, by the modesty of our looks, given an excellent instruction to all who saw us. And, you know, Francis of Assisi, you know, it was attributed to him that he said, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. And there's an example of that right there. He was, people were seeing his, his example and um, it, 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 it resonated with him. It's also related to St. Aloysius, Aloysius that when he walked through Rome, the students would stand in the streets to observe and admire his great modesty. And then uh, when Innocent II visited St. Bernard of Clairvaux, a great saint, such was the exterior modesty of the saint and of his monks that the Pope and his cardinals were moved to tears of devotion. Wow, can you imagine that? The Pope crying after being in the company of a future saint. Anyway, that that was, uh, that our, this is, uh, goes on, uh, that our Redeemer was the first who taught by his example, modesty of the eyes. May, as learned author remarks, be inferred from the holy evangelists who say that on some occasion he raised his eyes and he and he lifting his eyes up upon uh, lifting his eyes up his I'm scared, excuse me he lifting up his eyes on his disciples Luke six twenty so that's that's insinuating Christ is looking down okay when Jesus therefore had lifted up his eyes John six five from these passages we may conclude that the Redeemer ordinarily kept his eyes cast down hence the apostle praising the modesty of the Savior says I beseech you by the mildness and modesty of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.1. So in that verse, Paul says, Myself entreat you by the meekness and the and the gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold to you when I am away. So even uh, Paul is is um, taking his, his instruction from Jesus. He's saying that, you know, when I'm with you, I'm gonna I'm I'm face to face with you, but and I, I'm humble. When I'm away, I'm bold. When I'm away from you, so um, as a quote from uh, Saint Basil the Great, Doctor of the Church, Bishop of Caesarea, Caesarea, he says, "If my children, we desire to raise the soul towards heaven, let us direct the eyes towards the earth." See, it's uh, he's it's consistent with what these other saints are saying, you know. And then so what I was so. What I have gleaned from from uh, Saint Alphonsus on this uh, this little excerpts from his book, you know, what you, what you look at will lead to your thoughts. Okay, what what you look at is going to lead to your thoughts. And there's a famous saying that goes like this: um, It says, "Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits." For they become your character. So your character is 
who you are and your reputation is who people think you are. Uh, John Wooden used to say that, you know, he's, he's John Wooden, the great UCLA basketball coach. He used to say the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one, when no one is watching. Isn't that so true? You know, um, you know, you know, there's uh the Protestants have a, a, a saying or I should say just it's a Christian term uh, or you, you, you see stickers, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, and you put that in whatever you're doing, whatever action you're, uh, you know, you're involved in. Would you be doing that if Jesus was was watching you? Well, he's watching you, but you, you know, you, you can't see him. So would you, if he was there in the room and you could see him, would you still be doing what you were doing? Would you still be watching what you were watching? Would you still be staring like you're staring? You know, um, those are um, those are things that, that you want to think about. WWJD and uh, in a, Saint, Saint Alfonso's Pray For Us. He's, uh, he's one of my favorites. So uh, if you don't know, uh, if you have never read any of his books, I encourage you to do so. A moral theologian. Okay, coming up, talking about forgiveness on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, where iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. I'm a one man car. Um, we just finished, we wrapped up some stuff on uh, some a talk on um, you know, mortification of the eyes. So uh, now we're going to talk about forgiveness. Okay. Um, we, this is a, this, this sometimes I, I hear people talking, oh boy, I can't, there's no, no way I'm going to ever forgive that person or this person. And, you see where families are uh, are torn apart because brothers not talking to brother, you know, children aren't aren't speaking to their parents, and it's just sad. It's it's sad that uh, we gotta we have to know what Jesus says about this and and what the church teaches about this. And so, um, you know, every year we have these uh, you know in fallen history we see witnesses countless sins, large and small, and. Uh, and when they're committed against us, it or no raises questions of forgiveness. And Jesus made it clear that we must be willing to forgive. And so, I mean, his when you talk about this issue, you know, the the, the prayer that he taught us, it's right there in the Our Father, Christ's most famous injunction regarding forgiveness. He says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's straight from Matthew six twelve. And it's debts in Greek, though the the common English translation uses word trespasses. So in Greek, it's uh, it's debts. Okay, just to make sure we get the point, Jesus he singles this petition out for special commentary. Quote: For if you forgive men their trespass, trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive their trespasses. Matthew six fourteen and fifteen, so that's it. That you have to forgive if you want to be forgiven. Okay, so what about forgiveness and feelings? You know, this creates uh, the urgent question: What does it mean to forgive somebody? Um, this is it's a sticky issue here because 
There's certain things that commonly go under the name of forgiveness that are difficult um, or almost impossible for us to do. You know, for example, um, we often think of forgiving people in terms of not being angry with them anymore, of having warm, positive feelings towards them. When we tell people that we forgive them for what they did, we often smile and we try to convey the impression that we have warm feelings even though we still may feel angry. (laughs) And since our forgiveness before God is conditional on our willingness to forgive others, a person with a a feelings-based understanding of forgiveness may conclude that he isn't forgiven by God until he has his rosy feelings uh, about everyone in the world. And, And that's just not true, okay? But the feelings-based view of forgiveness is wrong because we don't always have full control of our feelings, okay? Um, then there's there's uh, this issue of anger and sin. So anger in and of itself isn't sinful, okay? In Ephesians 4.26, Paul tells us, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. But this passage, passage is going to, it speaks of our responsibility to manage our feelings, Okay? So you can't control what goes on around you, but you can control your how you react to it, okay? That's what he's saying. Paul doesn't mean that we literally have to get rid of our anger before sundown. It means don't nurture it. Don't let it, don't let it pass as before that's something we can't guarantee since we can only influence our feelings. And then Paul makes the exhortation, be angry, because anger is part of human nature. It, it isn't just something that we inherited from Adam, even Jesus himself got angry, Mark 3, 5. Anger is something God designed into us, just like he designed it in certain other creatures. It, you know, it plays a useful function. It motivates us to protect things that need protecting, uh, whether they are tangible, like family, or intangible, like a reputation. Now, when I was doing police work, did was I angry at some of the injustice I saw? Absolutely, 100%. Did I get angry sometimes with my partners? You're, you bet you, you know. But being able to be in control of your emotions is is huge, and uh, you have to you you have to. It, it, there's a just anger, okay? So I had I had reason to be upset with some of the things that were going on when, especially when you know people would hurt children and, uh, um, you know, home invasions where they. They tied up people and robbed them at gunpoint, beat them, and and just uh, j- just caused so much terror that those, those the family will never be the same. Those, so yeah, th- things like that. Uh, you know, I got angry about. You know, didn't mean I took my anger out on the the the, the suspect. Um, you know, because once the handcuffs are on, you know, it's King's X. Anyway, um, Thomas Aquinas he noted that evil may be found in anger, even to wit, one is angry more or less than right reason demands. So if one is angry in accordance with right reason, one's anger is deserving of praise. That's from his Theosuma Theologica. Um, Anger and forgiveness. So the problem is that we often experience too much anger or anger over the wrong things and motivated by anger, we can unjustly harm rather than help. So when you're overacting in anger, it leads to hurt both ourselves and others. So be 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 careful with that. So consequently, we need to partition our anger, uh, not, not, not act on it. Okay. 
this part of what's involved in uh, forgiving a person, it means a willingness to let go of the anger. And someone has prompted in us, even if it's going to take a while before the feeling goes away. This is frequently what we are after when we ask others to forgive us, that they be willing to let the anger go. So let's 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 talk about what forgiveness is and what it is not, okay? So of course, what we would really like in getting someone's forgiveness is for things to be just as if we had never offended him. We'd like things to go back to exactly the way they were. That may not happen. Even if someone's ill feelings for us go away, prudence may may dictate that we will, will treat us in uh, in exactly the same way, that this person is going to treat us exactly the same way. And this is particularly the case if we've broken trust with them. So you got to consider the extremes. If someone, if someone is a terrorist or a child molester, then no matter how penitent he may be, he simply cannot be treated as if he never committed his crimes. Most of us have committed offenses nowhere near that bad, of course, but the principle still holds. We sense it in our interactions with others. If someone has violated our trust, we may be able to let go of ang- our anger, but it doesn't mean that we're going to put trust in him again. Our trust will have to be earned. And so forgiveness does thus does not mean treating someone as if they've never sinned. That would require us to let go of our reason as well as our anger. And so the church acknowledges this principle in his encyclical Divas in Misericordia, Pope St. John Paul II, he notes that the requirement of forgiveness, quote, the requirement of forgiveness does not cancel out the objective requirements of justice. In no passage of the gospel message does forgiveness or mercy as its source mean indulgence towards evil, towards scandals, toward injury or insult. In any case, reparation for evil and scandal, compensation for injury, and satisfaction for insult are conditions for forgiveness. So there are there's these are there's conditions to forgiveness. What about um I thought that was a powerful uh, quote from Pope John Paul. Preemptive forgiveness. We aren't obligated to forgive people who do not want to be forgiven. This is one of the biggest stumbling blocks that people have regarding the topic. People, you know, people have seen they have seen unconditional forgiveness and love hammered so often that they feel obligated to forgive someone even before that person has repented. Sometimes they even tell the unrepentant that they have preemptively forgiven them, much to the impenitence annoyance. How about you? You know, you were getting a, a little spat with your your spouse, and uh, you you think, oh, it's all her her fault. She started it. It's uh, you know, she's the one who can't see clearly. And so you go, oh, you know what, honey, I forgive you. And, and and that just could tick her off even more because she doesn't think she did anything wrong. So she she's upset that you would think that that she's to blame. So that gets you in more trouble. So uh, you know, believe me, you know, uh, <laughs> I've been there before. And uh, I'm, I'm typically the one who's who's trying to to, to make up. Uh, I, I'm I'd rather have peace in the house. And so. I go the, try to go the extra mile. I don't know what she would say if she, if uh, she heard that. I don't know. Well, we'll have to see. This is what is this is not what is required. Okay, consider Luke seventeen three four. He says where Jesus tells us, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. 
Notice, notice that Jesus says to, to forgive him if he, if he repents. It's not regardless of whether he does so. Jesus also envisions the person coming back to you and admitting his wrong. The upshot here, if someone isn't repentant, you don't have to forgive them. If you do forgive them anyway, that can be meritorious, provided it doesn't otherwise have bad, bad effects, like encouraging future bad behavior. But it, but it isn't required of us to forgive that person. This may sound, it's going to strike some people as odd, right? I know when I um, looked into it, I thought that, hmm, could this be correct? They may have heard unconditional love and forgiveness preached so often that the the idea of not indiscriminately forgiving everybody sounds unspiritual to them. They might even ask, but wouldn't it be more spiritual to forgive everyone? So I, I sympathize with this argument. But there's a two-word rejoinder to it. God doesn't. Okay, not everybody's forgiven. Not everybody's forgiven. Otherwise, we'd all be walking around in a state of grace all the time, and and have no need of repentance to attain salvation. God doesn't like people being unforgiven, and he's 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 willing to grant forgiveness to all, but he isn't willing to force it on people who don't want it. If people are unrepentant of what they know to be sinful, they are not forgiven. And you know, remember. During the consecration, you know, um, where Christ, you know, when the priest raises up the the cup and, and uh, okay, you know, I'll pick that, that thought up on the other side of the break. Okay. Listen to Jesus 911. We're going to finish up on forgiveness on the other side of the break. If I have enough time, I'll, I'll, I'll share a story with you. Be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. So, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready and uh, we're talking about forgiveness and uh, it's required of us, but uh you'll see there's some little twist to it. And, uh, and, and, you know, what I was going to say on the other side of the break, it's, it's hard as I've been going to the Latin mass so long that the, the you know, when, when the words of consecration, it, it's of the, of the precious blood, when it, it says in the, in the missal, eek es, and the priest says this under his breath in the Latin mass, eek, eet es enum sanguinis corpus meum, novin and eternity testament, the mysterium fide creep qui provobus et promultus effendator in, in remission impeccatorum. So, yeah, excuse my Latin there, but it was, when he says this is the, the cup for, that was um, for for the many, he, Jesus says, he doesn't, you know how, remember in the Novus Ordo, they, they used to say for the all, and that used to drive me nuts because the three synoptic gospels, all Jesus all says this is, you know, for the many. Multus has always meant many, and so when they changed the words of of Christ, it it used to bother me at the most holy time in the mass, and uh, it would just it would just cause distraction for me. And then, uh, of course, Pope Benedict, you know, he 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 allowed uh, these corrections to be made to the uh, Novus Ordo Missal in the Latin, so that the English translation would be 
a better, it would be a better translation. So they went back to the many. So we're not saying that Jesus didn't die for all. He did die for all, but he's, it's, it's only for those who accepted him that they're going to merit the benefits of that, of that, of his passion and death and resurrection. Okay. So that's a, that's an important distinction. So Jesus dies once for all. He pay a price sufficient to cover all our sins of our lives, but God doesn't apply his forgiveness to us in a once and for all manner. See, he forgives us as we repent. That's why we continue to pray, forgive us our trespasses because we regularly have new sins that we have repented of. Some venial sins, but some mortal. All but but all all needing forgiveness. So if God doesn't forgive the unrepentant, it's not correct to tell people they need to, to do so. What is required of us? So what's required of us? Okay. Jesus calls um calls us to be like uh like God in the showing of mercy, that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, Matthew five forty five. So how does God forgive? So scripture tells us that he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, first Timothy two four. And he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Um second Peter three nine. So we, we need to have that same attitude. We should will the good of every soul, even the most evil ones. No matter who they are or what they've done, we need to will their ultimate good, which is salvation through repentance. So what if they don't repent? One may hope that uh, they were not culpable for their actions or so they or so can be saved so they can be saved that uh, we they were affected by mental disorder if they were mental they had mental disorder. Would that be a, a, an issue? How about intense pressure? How about ignorance or indoctrination or something that, that affected their judgment so that they weren't responsible for their actions at the time they committed them? But what if they were? What if they were responsible? We may hope that they are brought around to repentance. In fact, we ought to hope this even for those who weren't responsible for their actions. But to be brought to repentance often requires suffering. The consequences of one sin. One sins, okay? So this is where righteous anger comes in. It's often said that anger is a, is, is a desire for vengeance. This puts a little more harshly than many today would want to say it. But, but anger does involve a desire that the, that the offending person experience the consequences of his sins. Without this desire, the feeling would be something less than anger, such as simple frustration. Okay, <clears throat> anger is righteous in keeping with justice. If it is still fundamentally directed towards the good, thus one may wish that a person experience the consequences of his offenses sufficient, sufficiently understand how he has hurt others and teach him to not commit them in the future. However, if he desires the punishment of one who has not deserved it or beyond his deserts, or again, contrary to the the order prescribed by law, like, you know, let's say you, a guy goes in and he rips off the 7-Eleven. Man, I hope he gets the death penalty. I mean, that would be a, a just punishment for his uh, his offense. Okay, so, um, you know, you know, you might say, oh, this child molester boy, he, he needs to be castrated, you know. Uh, and uh, some, some places they do that. Um, anyway... But uh, anyway, it has to, you know, the justice has to be deserved. Um, 
Again, contrary to the word prescribed by law or not for the due end, namely the maintaining of justice and the correction of faults, then the desire of anger will be sinful. Okay, so so if a person with with uh, with whom we are angry repents, what do we do? Then the obligation to forgive kicks in. So this means that we must be willing to set aside our anger because we no longer deserve it. We may still feel it for a time, and we can even be advisable to let them know this is in order to underscore the lesson he needs to have learned. But we need to manage our emotions so that we we let the anger go and, to the best of our ability, encourage it to fade. So what if the person doesn't repent when all is said and done? At some point, we need to just let our, our feeling of anger fade, okay? Not, not for his sake, but for ours. You don't want to be left in bondage, okay? It isn't good for us to stay angry and it poses temptations to sin. Ultimately, we have to let go of the feeling of anger and move on with life. Frequently, we have to do so even when a person has not repented. But for the person himself, what should we hope? With regret, we recognize that it is appropriate that he gets what he chose, even if that was hell. This is, after all, the attitude taken by God toward those who choose death rather than life. Remember, it's our choice. Okay, gives us, Jesus gives us free choice. So, uh, you know, this. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm going to kind of bear my soul here because. Uh, you know, it's it leaves me vulnerable, but I'm going to tell you a story that, uh, you know, many of you don't know about me. So, and it's not to disparage anybody, and it's, I'm not going to, I'm not gossiping here. This is something that happened to me. So, um, I've moved way past it. But, um, or when I was, uh, when I, I married early on at 21 years old, and, um, and then a few years later, I joined law enforcement and, you know, working long hours, being away on weekends and holidays, and and then uh, my own um, choice to kind of stay out l- late sometimes, uh, having a few beers with the fellas, and um, next thing I know, um, my um, my wife was getting involved with somebody with with a boss, her boss at work. So, um, you know, the heart knows those things. You know, you could feel them, you could sense them, and anyway. That's why I was a good detective, but I, but anyway, it, it it came to to bear that that's what was going on, and uh, you know tried to make it work. Went to counseling. Um, you know, my parents were married for sixty three years. I I just didn't want to feel like a failure, but uh, we tried to make it work. It didn't work. It's the the relationship continued. So um, you know, I was angry. I was bitter. I was uh, I I wanted vengeance. I wanted uh, you know how dare he? You know he's. I remember pounding on his uh, on his door one time, saying, "Hey, how dare you? You know, you you're messing with a cop's wife." And I, I, it was dumb, I know, but but anyway, I had to see them all the time at the uh, you know it led to a divorce, and I had to see them all the time at the at the soccer fields where I coached my kids. They sit on the other side of the field and stay away from me. But in any case, um, you know, it was just lingering. But then. Uh, but see that that's what God used the occasion to to open another door for me, and that's when I met a holy priest and and I started attending the Latin Mass and and uh, it was it was a game changer. So once I started learning my faith, I realized that I couldn't be holding on to this anger. I mean, there was times that I, I saw the guy in the street and I was in my black and white. It was one time I, I remember following him and just to scare him, and uh, it was just you know 
I, I could have really done something stupid if I, if I didn't have control of my emotions. But nevertheless, um, God was moving my heart, and he was moving me to, to, to have to forgive. So one day when I went to pick up uh, the kids, you know, um, he was there in the driveway, and I said, uh, hey, can I have a word with you? And, uh, and he said, oh, yeah, he was ready to you know, make a beeline for the door. And then anyway, I just said, you know, a lot's happened, a lot of um, water under the bridge. I just want to let you know that, that I forgive you for what it's, it's all in the past, okay? But I, I just want to ask you one thing. Will you forgive me for all the times I wanted to beat you, that I wanted to hurt you, make you suffer like I did? And uh, his mouth dropped open, and, and he said, yeah, you know. And so with those words, I mean, I, I just, like the weight of the world was lifted off my, my back, had this monkey off my back, and, uh, and it allowed me to receive the graces that, I was, that God had in store for me. I wasn't burdened with this, this anger and this, um, you know, this unforgiveness, and you know, I forgive, forgave my ex-wife. And then so later on, you know, when we'd have functions and birthday parties or, or graduations, you know, I would, I would see them. I was able to talk to them. I was, you know, we were, we were friendly, you know, I mean, uh, we, my son got married, you know, it was, you know, they're having a, a drink with him and, you know, it, and it, it's like the furthest thing from my mind, you know, and then fortunately, you know, after nine years, uh, you know, and having with the help of a, of a canon lawyer priest, he, uh, he assisted me in, uh, seeing that I had a, uh, I had a cause for, for an annulment. So anyway, uh, but that was, that changed my life, you know, because that without that forgiveness, man, who knows what, what I would have become had I not forgiven the both of them, you know? And, um, and to this day, you know, the families could get together and, and it's like so far removed. I don't even think about it. And I know people suffer, people going through divorces and they go through, you know, bad relationships. So, um, if you can, you know, get anything out of that, um, you know, I hope, I hope, you know, I can help you with that, that example. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was quite angry and, you know, and, uh, I wanted vengeance and, you know, scripture does God, Jesus says, uh, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Anyway, I hope you, uh, you pick up something on, on these, the show today and, um, you could use it. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being with us and you know, always supporting us. Stay tuned for Hands On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. And, um, you know, he's always got some great guests. The Midwest Command Center. We are 10-7. We are EOW. End of watch. I'll see you next week. God bless. Keep the faith. Say your rosaries.